Hello and welcome to episode 29 of iPhone Life Podcast. I'm David Auerbach, CEO and publisher of iPhone Life Magazine. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, senior web editor of iPhoneLife.com. And I'm Connor Carey, feature web writer of iPhoneLife.com. Each week we go over the latest Apple news, top tips, best apps, great gear. We've got an awesome show for you this week. We're going to talk about nomophobia and learn a little bit about what that is and maybe how you can avoid it. Uh, (laughs) So let me tell you guys about iPhone life tip of the day. Uh, If you haven't signed up, make sure you go and do that. It's a free tip that we email you to you every day and we teach you how to do cool stuff with your iPhone. So go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip. And Connor, what was your favorite tip of the week? My favorite tip this week is how to set your iPhone to erase all data after 10 failed passcode attempts. Mm, Seems relevant. (laughs) Yeah, the entire FBI investigation centered around this one feature. Uh So in order to do this, and also a quick note, be careful if you're going to do this if you have toddlers around or someone that messes with your iPhone because it will erase everything. That's why I don't have it enabled. I have children. Yeah, exactly. So just a quick pro tip there. So in order to do this, open your settings app, tap touch ID and passcode, and then you're going to want to scroll to the very bottom of that page and you'll see erase data. And if you toggle that feature on and then confirm by selecting enable, ta-da, it's done. Now, to be clear... If you if it erases it, you still have your iCloud backups, right? So like anything that's being backed up to iCloud, which hopefully everybody's backing up anything important to iCloud that they don't want that they don't mind the FBI looking at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you are concerned about your uh, iCloud backups, you can also back up to iTunes and encrypt those backups. Mm. It's a good but, idea. But definitely, if you have this feature turned on, make sure you're backing up regularly either to iTunes on a computer or to iCloud. Yep. Okay. And yeah, because I, I think that it's it, in that case, it's a relatively low risk. You're not losing a lot if it deletes your phone. Yeah. And if somebody gets their hands on your phone, then, I mean, the odds of somebody really cracking your password, unless it's like 1111 are pretty low anyway, <laughs> I guess. But it seems nice. I, I like the security having it on. I have that feature turned on. Yeah, it just dictates that you need to create iCloud backups regularly, which... I don't, Mm. so... (laughs) All you have to do is set it to automatically back up when it's locked and on Wi-Fi. Okay, but then... What's the problem, Connor? Then I also have to pay for uh, iCloud storage. Uh, Like $1 a month? Yeah, which I did, but now I don't, and I'm just going to stick to my guns on this Okay, Connor, I'm just going to (laughs) say, pay the dollar a month. No. And that's advice for everybody out there listening. How are you not backing up regularly? If you lose your... Because I've had my phone stolen, and it was actually like... I mean, it wasn't a pleasant experience getting my phone stolen, but getting my iPhone, turning it on, and having all the stuff from before was so comforting. Aren't you just living in fear, Connor? No. No. (laughs) Okay. On the edge. Uh, Listeners, don't do what Connor does. Don't be a cheapskate. <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. Yeah, pay, pay the $1 a month for the extra 50 gigabytes of storage space in iCloud, and then you'll never, ever have to worry again. And also, we have a guide about in, in iPhone Life Insider about managing your storage, and there's some really useful things you can do to manage your storage. Number one, if you're backing up your photos, uh, go and delete the videos that you don't want because they yeah. take up a lot of storage. Number two... 
go look at what devices are being backed up in the cloud because oftentimes if you get phones regularly, you're actually storing backups of previous devices that you don't right. even have anymore. Right. We even have a tip on how to delete those old backups. Okay. So yeah, we'll post go. that tip in the podcast, iphonelife.com slash podcast, because yeah, I mean, it definitely is a hassle when you're kind of getting near your device right. storage capacity, but there's some easy things you can do to not necessarily have to pay for more storage, depending on how many photos and videos you have. Yeah. But the problem is you only get five free gigabytes of storage in iCloud. Mm -hmm. So, and then for yeah. just 99 cents, you get an entire 50 gigabytes. So I just think it's a no brainer. <laughs> is it 50? I have, I feel like I have 20. What's, no, it's 50. Maybe I got legacied into a bad deal. I'll look into this. I yeah, you probably did. Okay, <laughs> okay I, I am paying for it. So I am I am putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. <laughs> we also have a tip on how to manage your iCloud storage subscription. So we can link to that too. Okay, yeah. iphonelife.com slash podcast. And speaking of iPhone Life Insider, I referenced it there. Let me tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, iPhone Life Insider is our premium subscription. It's an educational service where you learn everything that you need to know about how to use your iPhone and... Uh, in a, you get daily video tips. We email you a video tip every single day. We have these in-depth guides like we just referenced. We have a guide on uh, iCloud backup. We have a, we're coming out with a guide soon on iPhone security. We're coming out with a guide soon on iPhone Siri tips is I think coming out this there's week or next. For, there's one for Apple Watch, for yeah, Apple Music. There you go. There, there's a lot. Um, so oh, in addition to that, you can email us and ask us questions. So, oh, and you get a digital subscription to the magazine. Sorry, that was, <laughs> usually I rattled that off a lot better than I did there. So sorry, guys. But go to iphonelife.com slash insider to subscribe. And we like to read our favorite questions uh, on the podcast. So Sarah, what was your favorite question from this week? Um, this was from one of uh, my, uh, one of our newer subscribers. And it's a two-part question. So his first question was, has the way an app is deleted from the iPhone changed? I thought that from a home screen, you just press the app's icon and an X would appear that you pressed a delete. That's not working for me now. Um, so the way that apps are deleted hasn't changed. Um, sometimes I find it hard to do things like that because of 3D touch. Like yeah, me too. You, you have to just be more precise in how hard you press. Yeah, 3D touch is weird like that because yeah. it's like you like to like touch but not 3D touch is like yeah. a weird level of pressure to apply. <laughs> right, it takes practice. Um, but there's actually, uh, we went back and forth about this, but there's, so there's actually a way to make it impossible to delete apps from your phone. You can enable it in uh, restrictions, and it turns out that that is what he had done. Oh, so if you find that, you know, you, wow. yeah. So if you find that you can't delete your apps, maybe check your restrictions and see if you have accidentally enabled that. Is that to like toddler proof your phone? Presumably? Right. You don't Pretty want your much. kids to delete your apps. You can always download them again, but you'll lose any data. Mm -hmm. um, and, but if that's not the problem, then as always, try turning your phone on and off if you're having this problem. <laughs> Please people, just <laughs> as a rule of thumb, if something isn't working before panicking, just turn your phone on and off. The other thing to do, and this is not related to the tip, but Double tap the home button and close out the app if you're having a problem with the app. Such a good tip. 
<laughs> it's like, yeah. like the most basic tip, but it's like so many other more advanced things are going wrong yeah. and this can just solve it. So those two things are good number, like just basic troubleshooting advice. Right. Every problem you encounter with your iPhone, unless it's like you broke it, definitely try turning it on and off first. Okay. So the second uh, part of this question is he wants to know, is there a way to completely delete an iPhone app in iTunes? Seems like it just changes the state to install, but I want it completely deleted so I don't see it again on the phone or in iTunes. Apple's kind of weird about this. It's like once you buy an app, they want you to have it forever. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. You know, like you try an app and then you don't want it anymore, but it's there in your list of purchased apps. And um, But even though Apple won't let you delete it, there is a way to hide it um, from all of your devices and in iTunes. You have to use your computer. You log into iTunes on your computer and you go to purchases and click on apps. And then if you hover your mouse over an app icon, an X will appear and you can click on that. And while it won't be really deleted, you won't see it again. You'll have to actually search for it in the app store or there is a way to manage your hidden apps, which I, I think would be in the same area. Um, so you could go and unhide it. And I also learned something interesting when I was finding the answer mm -hmm. for how to do this, which is that if you have family sharing enabled and you go to your list of purchased apps, because sometimes as a parent I have things purchased that I don't want my kids to have, you can go to your list and swipe left on an app in the, in the App Store app on your phone. You don't have to go to your computer and you'll see the option to hide it, and that will hide it from your family. It won't hide it from your, you or iTunes, so it's not the same thing, but I thought that was a pretty useful cool, yeah. bit of information. Yeah, now do we have, I, obviously if you just discovered the first tip, we don't have it as a tip yet. Oh, I didn't just discover it, but I oh, had okay. to kind of, it's sort of complicated, so I went back and... Because I, yeah, I, you lost me a little bit, so do we have a tip that we can link to in the podcast? Yes, there is an actual tip on hiding. Okay. IPhoneLife.com slash podcast, and we'll link to this tip so you can read it if you, Sarah did a great job describing it, but sometimes it's nice to see it written down. <laughs> yeah, whenever it's multi-step, it's helpful to actually have steps to follow. All right. Well, so let's move on to our news from the week. Um, kind of a light week in news, but we'll breeze through some of this stuff. So WhatsApp just announced a major change. Connor, what was that about? Say what? Say what? <laughs> app. <laughs> the WhatsApp is doing end-to-end -end encryption now, which um, the Messenger app does. And the whole point of that is just to protect you and protect what you write. And that way, no one can look at it. The FBI will never browse it. Mm -hmm. It's just in general to keep you safe from hackers, anyone outside of your network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the interesting things about when we talked about the Apple versus FBI, the fact that Apple chose to play this out in the court of public opinion was an interesting choice because it caused a lot of people who are concerned about privacy to now take extra lengths to protect their privacy. It's true. Um, and I think in some ways, a lot of experts have argued that Apple really messed up here because they should hmm. not have had the ability to make the changes in the first place that FBI wanted them to be able to make. Interesting. Uh, and so I think this is a similar case where 
you know, basically WhatsApp is saying, okay, well, if you want to like request access to our users' private data right. and we don't want you to access our users' private data, we're just going to make it so that we can't access our private data. Right. And so I think this is something you're going to see happen across the board. I think the later, the next iOS is going to have some features where Apple can't do in the future what what the FBI wants them to do. And I think we're going to see a lot of encryption. And I think you're those right. people who are pro-privacy will be really excited. And those people who are pro-government being able to <laughs> protect us are going to be a little bit annoyed. And I think it's going to be an ongoing debate we're going to have for a long time on this. <laughs> I think that is the benefit of Apple bringing it to public opinion is the fact that it has started discussion on it. Mm -hmm. Something that like it was kind of sparked when Edward Snowden came out. But after that, it was hushed again, and now it's it's front table discussion. Yeah, and it's exactly, and I've been saying this from the beginning is <laughs> this needs to be in the court of public opinion. We all right. need to decide what balance we want to have between protecting ourselves and our country and our own internal rights to privacy. Right. So that's all, unless anybody else has anything else to say on that. Um, next up, uh, Apple turned 40. Happy birthday! <laughs> it's funny because I always think of Apple as this sort of young, hip company, but it's older than me. See, my reaction's a little bit, my reaction's kind of the opposite of that. I mean, yes, Apple's a young, hip company, but Apple, like, when they came out, they basically invented the personal computer. Like, right. yes, there was some, you know, early iterations, but the computer turned 40. How crazy is that? That's true. Like 40 years ago. The personal computer. The personal computer. Yeah. And, I, and even that isn't a true statement. So don't send me angry emails. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're getting angry emails. <laughs> Podcast at iPhoneLife.com. If, if you're really angry at me, you can tell me, but I prefaced it. I get it. But still, it was a major milestone <laughs> in personal computers, and that's crazy that was only 40 years ago. Right. It's crazy to me that we didn't have smartphones until 2008. It's become such a big part of our lives, you know? Right. I know my kids can't even imagine. I mean, they're old enough to have seen the, you know, the phones where you had to, like, press each number several times to get to the right mm -hmm. character. But they really, like, are not familiar at all with a world that doesn't involve everyone having a smartphone. Oh, I know. What was weird to me is I watched the American Idol finale last night, <laughs> and the first hour was just like looking back at American Idol. And in one of their early seasons, they actually like introduced texting to America by teaching live on TV oh how to vote with texting. Uh -huh. And it was this little flip phone, and I was like, wait. American Idol is older than the smartphone? Like, yeah. whoa! It's, it's weird when you're watching <laughs> like, a movie or something like that, that everything seems basically normal until they yeah. go to make a phone call and it's like a little Motorola flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Times. All right, well, happy birthday, Apple. Um, next on our news, uh, Tesla just released this new car. I'm well, so excited. Well, yeah, are you going to get one? <laughs> Is that why you're not spending your dollar a month for Apple backups so you can save up <laughs> for a Tesla? Save it up for that Tesla car. <laughs> um, well, I think the Tesla Model 3, once I realized it had been released, I immediately watched a documentary on Elon Musk, mm -hmm. which just fascinated me. The process he took, how this was his plan all along to eventually get an affordable car to market. And when I saw that, it made me think of the rumored Apple car mm -hmm. and how I just feel like Apple is underestimating what it's going to take to bring an affordable car to market. 
So I think it's just exciting because it's like the Tesla Model 3 is kind of doing it now and Apple Car has a chance to improve upon it or a chance to show how amazing Tesla is. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I want to clarify is the... Um... The new the Model Three is not actually released. It's been announced, right. and it's supposed to be released in late 2017, a full year after Chevrolet is expected to release a similar, mm. but not you know kind of like Samsung versus Apple, yeah. uh, electric <laughs> car. Um, and they don't always meet their deadlines, so it could True. be several years out. Yeah. So first of all, let's let's back up for a minute for those people who weren't following this. So Tesla, of course, has had electric cars in the market for quite some time. Right. But they cost I don't know somewhere between one to three hundred thousand. I think the cheapest is like base model is like seventy k. Okay, and you kind of end up upgrading, and it's like a hundred thousand steering wheel. So this is the Tesla. (laughs) 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 No seats, Sarah. They don't include seats in that model. (laughs) There might be seats, but that's it. Okay. Um, So. Tesla's been around a while. It's really loved. It's well-reviewed back in some reports. So they just came out with the Tesla 3, or mm-hmm. they announced the Tesla 3, which is, uh, I think, starts at 35000 Is Correct. that right? Yeah. Uh, and so this is the car we're talking about. The thing that was so crazy to me was the pre-orders. And it, it, it yeah. is relevant to Apple. It reminds me of, I hate to say this, of what Apple used to be. Yeah, like. I know. And it's not exactly Apple's fault, but the level of excitement around this pre-orders, I haven't seen it with anything other than iPhone, early iPhone sales. Just to give you an idea of how impressive this is, all the other major car manufacturers sold about, sold under 300,000, like about 250 to 275,000 cars of every single model they have in March. That is unbelievable. at this point, seems to have about 300,000 pre-orders. And those are people that put down, I think it was $1,000 or $1,500? Yeah. $1,000, $1,000 to get a car that might come out in a year. Right. Um, no, and, no, a year and a half and, and maybe longer. the craziest part to me, and this is where the brand loyalty that Apple has, right. and, and similar to Tesla, they put down that money before the car was announced they hadn't even all they knew is that it was tesla yeah and that it was thirty five thousand dollars and they put down that money yeah well the thing is the first couple hundred thousand people are gonna get like a seven thousand plus uh credit so it's gonna cost under 30 yeah okay still i mean and, and so yeah i agree with you i mean i think why we're talking about it here is all the rumors with apple coming out with the car and mm-hmm. what that'll mean and they've got some formidable competition because exactly. I don't think they're going to be the Apple of cars. I think Tesla's already the Apple of exactly. cars. And and what happens like what happens when Apple steps in? Do Is they Apple become the, be the Samsung? Samsung? I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say because I and I, I wrote an article about this and we can link to it. We 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 talk we link to it whenever we talk about Apple Car, but we'll link to it. iPhoneLife.com/podcast. As cars become self-driving, mm-hmm. uh, they become primarily. A software-based thing, you know, yeah. and, and so I, I think that I think that Apple can pull it off because cars are changing so much that, that this is the right time potentially to enter into the market. But they've got they've got a major competitor on their hands with Tesla, to say the least. Exactly. And all the other manufacturers. I mean, we're we're forgetting <laughs> about all the other ones, but there's it's a huge market to enter into, so it'll be interesting. Um, all right, let's move along to our. Complaints slash things we learned this week. <laughs> Sarah, would you like to go first? 
Well, I learned how to passcode protect individual notes, and my complaint is it's just way too complicated. Okay, so yeah, this was uh, this wasn't something I'd remembered to complain about, but I tried to figure out how to passcode protect, and I couldn't figure out this week, and I was really upset at Apple. I even wrote the tip wrong the first really? time I wrote the tip for this, and then Sarah came back and was like, there's another step, and I was like, what? Why? So tell us, how, how does it work? So disappointingly, because I feel like Apple usually makes it pretty obvious how to do things, it's not obvious at all. You first, you have to enable the capability in yeah, so I did that note and, settings. And then thought all my notes were locked and they weren't. Exactly, that's what yeah. I thought too. So just for those people who haven't even gotten that far, you have to open settings and go to notes and tap password and, um, and then you can enable it there and enable using Touch ID. And then... Once you've done that, you go to your notes, and if you want to lock a note, let's see, um, you can, you have to, uh, let me see, I'm looking at a note that I've already got locked. Let me see if I can lock this note. You have to tap the share icon. Share icon, are I know, you isn't that, kidding me? I know. That is the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So you tap the share icon and, and then you tap lock note and then the lock's added, but it's not even locked. You have to tap the, a lock icon, which should have been there in the first place, right. appears next to the share icon and you have to tap that to lock it. And then every single time you unlock that note, you have to lock it again. That is a disaster. Yep. I can't, like Apple, what are you thinking? And I, there's no way that I can determine that you can just lock your entire Notes app. I, and, and like this is why we all love Apple is because they get this stuff right when other people mess it up. And it's hard to do right. <laughs> right. But I can't believe they messed up that bad. Like that is the least intuitive, least user-friendly way to lock a stupid note <laughs> that I've ever heard. I'm okay with the having to enable it in settings, but I'm right. not okay with the fact that the lock icon isn't just there. Mm -hmm. So for you to tap or not tap, and once I lock a note, I want it to. I want to have to enter a passcode or use Touch ID every single time I go to open that note. I don't want to have to like remember to lock it. Yeah, you don't right. want to remember to lock it every single time and no, remember to unlock it every time. And no other app I have that's locked that I use Touch ID or a passcode for makes it's just automatically locks itself again. Like. I can't even... And how is there no way to just lock all your notes? Like, not let anybody get into notes without entering a password. Right? That's what I thought it would be. All right, all right. Well, that was a really good complaint. Now, <laughs> That's a very valid complaint. I, I also feel valid for, like... I, I, in general, you know, like, I, I have a podcast, I write for iPhone Life Magazine, I usually can figure this stuff out, and I was, like, so, like, annoyed and embarrassed that I couldn't figure out how to do uh -huh. it. Obviously, I didn't Google it, I should have, but <laughs> still, God, that's impossible. All right, Connor, what, what's your complaint or thing you learned this week? I didn't come up with a complaint. Oh, no. Okay, so, Connor, as a preface. Oh, I learned something, okay, though. Okay, tell us what you learned. Okay, I learned this awesome tip for the Apple Watch. Okay. So you get a call on your wrist. She's not. She doesn't have an Apple Watch on, for the record. No, She's I don't. At I'm, looking, I'm looking at my wrist, pretending there's one there. Yeah. Um, pretend you get a call on your Apple Watch, and like you want to answer it, but mm -hmm. you don't want to put your wrist up to your ear. So what you can do is you can answer it on your wrist, and then to transfer it to your iPhone, all you have to do is swipe up. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I had no That's idea. That's like the first thing I ever did with my Apple Watch. I'm looking at you guys like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned this like 30 minutes ago and I think it's amazing. <laughs> see, see, what I just learned is that I could raise my wrist to answer. I didn't know I that. I didn't know that either. <laughs> wow, this is a good episode, oh guys. <laughs> nice. So, so caught. Donna was scheduled to be in the podcast with us this yeah. week. Donna got sick, and so Connor had about half an hour notice that she was going to be here. So nice improvisation <laughs> there, Connor. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> um, so my thing, and I actually learned something this week as opposed to complaining, so I feel good. I'm not always <laughs> complaining. This is another one that you guys are going to look at me like, I can't believe you didn't know this already. We'll see. But I discovered a new use for 3D Touch. Which is that settings has a 3D touch option? Yeah, that's new. That's, okay. from, I just, that's, that's why you didn't know that's it. That's why I didn't know. Thing. Okay, good. I feel better about this. It's so useful. So mm-hmm. what happens is if you 3D touch your settings icon, uh, and, and what's interesting is I almost never do like the, usually I find 3D touching the like setting, the app icons for the quick launches are, aren't that useful. Same. But, but what it does is it brings up your most used settings. And what's cool about it is, there's still a few things that I do frequently that I have to go into settings to do and it's a few steps away. Right. So for example, I have a Bluetooth speaker in my room and when I leave the house, it disconnects and I get home and I want to start playing music on my Bluetooth speaker. And it took me a few steps to go connect. And now that's one of the quick launch options on my 3D Touch. And the other one is sometimes I want to put my phone in like bat- low pa- power mode, yes. even if it's not 20%. So I've been traveling. I was in DC last week. And so whenever I travel, I use my phone a lot and it dies quickly. Mm-hmm. So I put it in low power mode pretty frequently. And so that's just like a quick launch option. This I think besides uh, 3D touching the phone app where I can quickly call, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. my sort of top three most common people that I call, I think this is one of the first times that 3D touch has actually felt useful. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to like a useless gimmick (laughs) that I forget about. Oh, poor Apple. Um, (laughs) You know where I love 3D touch? I've talked about this in podcasts before. In the Facebook app, I find it very useful. Oh, yeah. Now that it has it, that is useful too. Well, because I like in my Facebook app, honestly, like I. I mostly just have a lot of news. <laughs> like I follow like a lot of my favorite news sources on Facebook. Totally. And so you can peek and pop into articles before deciding if you want to read them. Peek and pop is like the only function peek of 3D touch I use. Cool. Yeah, I really like that. Or or if my friend sends me a link and I'm like, do I want to look at yeah. this? Yeah. I mean, I actually, when I scroll through Facebook, often just save links because I don't know if I want to look at them or not, but I don't want to stop and like go there and then go back. So now I don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. with this new peek and pop feature, which I exactly. really like. But if you want to save links for later, just mm. tap on the little uh, down arrow in the top right and tap save link, and then you there can you visit go. it later. I actually did that for the first time the other day. <laughs> I really? never did it because I always figured I would forget to look at my saved links. Yeah. But actually, Apple reminds me and puts in my feed regularly. You mean Facebook? Thanks. <laughs> Facebook reminds me. Yeah, I find that really handy, actually. I find it both handy and annoying. It's like, I don't want to read that article yet. Leave me alone. I kind of regretted <laughs> saving it. I don't even sure I want to read it. <laughs> Do you also find yourself saving things that you feel like you should read so that you can, like, not read it? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, if I were to save, I would do that. Mostly I look at those and think I should read those and then never do. Right. Like, those articles are, like, the, like the like New Yorker like long op-eds and you're like I want to feel like an intellectual person who reads these but don't really want to read them <laughs> yeah you're just fake intellectual yeah. David <laughs> exactly 
Um, all right, moving on to our app or accessory of the week. I'll let you go last, Connor, so you can brainstorm this. Oh, I she actually has have one. this okay, one. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, then go first. Whoa, okay. Tell us about this. Um, okay, so this this is a guilty pleasure now. Panda Pop is this. <laughs> it's a game on iOS, and you're a little you're a mama panda, and there are these <laughs> there are these colored it gets worse <laughs> there are these colored bubbles, and you have a colored bubble, and you have to match them to pop them. And the whole point is to save the baby pandas. Oh, the baby pandas. And if you fail, the mom drops to the floor and starts crying. Oh, no. And this baboon pops up on the screen and goes, hee, 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 <laughs> and rubs his hands together. <laughs> so sick and evil. It sounds so manipulative. I'm just obsessed with it, though. I'm on level, like, 153. Oh, my God. When I'm not at work, like, if I'm watching TV, oh, I sure, have to play. when you're not at work. I swear. Because <laughs> if I was at work, that's all I would do. My favorite thing about this is the first time I talked about an iPhone game with you, you were like, oh, I don't play games on my iPhone. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. And now oh. you're obsessed with Neko Atsume and but now Panda Pop. This is why I don't play iPhone games. So. <laughs> That's fair. So, okay, Panda Pop. Is it free? It is free. All right. um, though I have spent money in order to, like, uh-huh, re-up on my yeah. lives and stuff. I'm ashamed. Oh, my goodness. I'm ashamed. You're, you're that's why, that's why she's not paying for the dollar a month for yeah. the iCloud. Yeah. She spent her budget on Panda Pop. She's, she's protecting the pandas. They're an endangered species. Right. Way more important than your phone's data. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Tell, tell us. Is it, is it something maybe hopefully a little bit more practical here? <laughs> It is practical if you are a student or you have a student or you are just a random person who carries a three-ring binder around. Okay. Um, Enterplex has this really cool charger, a portable battery um, called the – oh, hold on. I forgot the name. Good job. It's <laughs> called the Jumper Slate 5K. Okay. And it's awesome because it has these cutouts. It's very flat and slim, and it has these cutouts so you can put it in your three-ring binder, and it has a built-in lightning cable. And these days, teachers have given up, really, on not letting students have phones, Mm -hmm. and people just use their phones or even an iPad in class. And this, you know, the the 5K is enough to charge an iPad once or your phone twice. Mm -hmm. So it's really perfect for any kind of classroom setting where you have you know, a device with you. Now, do people, uh, yeah, but do people still use three-ring binders or do they just, is they replaced with iPads? I mean, I haven't inspected the backpacks of any kids but my own, but my daughter has a multi-binder, three-ring binder system. But your daughter's like student of the year. I mean, she, (laughs) if anybody was going to, it'd be her. She may take it a little too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, that's good to know. Because yeah, I mean, I obviously use three-ring binders very frequently when I was of that yeah. age, but I was wondering that if people use it. Oh, that's a I, cool I product. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's I think there's a chance it will be featured in the magazine because um, okay. we're going to do a back-to-school roundup in the fall issue. Sweet. All right. Well, in the meantime, go to iphonelife.com slash podcast, and we'll link to all these apps we're talking about if you want to save the pandas or charge <laughs> an iPhone from a three-ring binder. Um, mine was an app that I started using, I think, last week. And I was talking about, in our last podcast, I was talking about my frustration with the Apple Photos app. And it's kind of not the perfect system. It doesn't quite back up the way I'd want it to do. The other thing that it doesn't do that well is it doesn't share large groups of photos very easily. 
um, number one, you can do it, you can kind of do a shared album with other people who have an iPhone or iPad. Um, But if you don't have an iPhone or iPad, you can't access that shared album. Or you might be able to, but you can't like do it in a very convenient way. Uh, Number two, I find that the whole thing doesn't work very well. It's another little area where Apple isn't didn't do a great job. It's not that user friendly. But now you can share like actual sort of links if you have yes, tons of them. Yes, you can do that. You can share links, um, but then they can't necessarily upload. So it's like you want to do a shared album where like some they can send you all their photos and you can send them all your photos. Right. Um, and it kept crashing on me. Like I was trying mm-hmm. to. I, I went to New Zealand for a month and I was trying to share all of my pictures with a friend of mine who I traveled with while I was there. Right. And it was like, it was too many photos and videos and Apple's crashing. So Facebook came out with an app called Moment or Moments. Actually, let me look up which of those two it is. Uh, and basically it's the same basic concept where it allows you to share a group. It's called Moments and allows you to share masses of amounts of photos with a Facebook friend very easily. That's um, really cool. It's nice. really cool and it has some... Not only did I find it much more user friendly than Apple's version, like it, like Apple kept crashing, it was taking forever, and moments was just like, bam, I got this. Man, I should have consulted you. I just answered a question on how to share like large amounts really? of photos with a group of friends. Ah, yeah. Well, this there is a good go. one. I mean, obviously the disadvantage. I have to write them back. <laughs> the disadvantage is they have to have a Facebook account, and not everybody does. But you know, as right. opposed to they have to have an iPhone, more people, most right. people, you're going to share photos with your Facebook friends with. Um, and not only does it do that, but it, it actually like uses some of Facebook's like smart technology where it'll have like, do you want to share all the pictures with this particular friend that you've taken in your phone of, of this friend with them? Cool. And it does cool things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was really easy to use. It was, it had some nice features, very intuitive. Um, the only thing about it that was kind of creepy was it maybe took it a little too far. <laughs> so I was in DC last week and I was like, it was a friend's birthday and I took a few pictures of them on their birthday. And a push notification came up from this app saying, do you want to share photos with? And it not only said the person who I took the photo of, but the person who I was with, who wasn't in any, who wasn't in that photo or any of the photos. And I don't know how they knew they were there. Location tracking, turn off location tracking on Facebook. But it's not just mine. It's like we both had to have had location. I don't know. It's like <laughs> creepy. Is, okay, so Facebook <laughs> updates their app regularly, just automatically. Um, they have made it so that you can almost accidentally give them permission to automatically update their app. And you need to check your Facebook settings regularly because they're constantly changing privacy settings, and Facebook's really notorious mm-hmm. for those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. check your Facebook settings it, within the app or even on your, you know, signed in on your computer. Just I'm sure, yeah, and I'm sure I'd given them access, and so had my friend, but it it was a little creepy. Yeah. But in general, like the app, worth checking out if you're trying to share large groups of photos or videos with people. It's called Moments. It's made by Facebook. All right. Uh, well, I think we're going to move on to our main topic of nomophobia, and we actually have an interview with a professor from Iowa State, so we're going to cut over to that interview, and we're going to leave you. So <laughs> enjoy the interview. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Bye. So today we are lucky to have a special guest, Dr. Ana Paula Correa. She is an associate professor in the School of Education at Iowa State University and a faculty member with the Human-Computer Interaction Graduate Program. Welcome, Ana. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. And last year, she co-authored a study on computer and human behavior on what is called nomophobia, no mobile phone phobia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So maybe first of all, could you explain to us what that is? Oh, I can certainly do, but you just did it. So one way to define nomophobia in a simple way is just breaking down the word. So no, mobile, and phobia. So it's basically an anxiety that comes from you not having your mobile phone uh, next to you or properly charged. So that's the fear of being away from your um, smartphone and or having your smartphone not able to work. And where did this term originate? Uh, we went back to a survey that was published in UK in 2012. But you know, the word phobia goes back to the uh, Greek and Latin, and it means panic or fear of. So, and then no mobile, I think someone just invented uh, not having a mobile next mm-hmm. to you, creates some panic or fear of mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. being connected. And, and what was your goal when you're doing this research? When we start this research project, we want to explore different dimensions of that uh, nomophobia. And to be able to create a measure or a questionnaire, we call it a questionnaire, to measure the fear of being away or in, not having contact with your smartphone, mm-hmm. specifically among U.S. college students. So college students were our main target for this study. And um, what made you interested in nomophobia? Was it working with students and, and seeing those symptoms? Uh, it was just, you know, we, it just, it came from us looking around, uh, just look around and see people interact with their smartphones, bending their heads over their devices, all mm-hmm. around campus, in the buses, and, you know, when you travel at airports, you, you ask yourself some questions, it's, it's puzzling how people interact with each other nowadays. So I think that that was what intrigued us. By We were intrigued by this behavior and why um, that's why we came up with the idea to identify the dimensions or um, aspects that are related with that fear of being away from your smartphone. And why did you start with college students? Was the hypothesis that college students were more likely to suffer from nomophobia? It was more a convenience decision because we, we, we are on campus. We are Iowa State University, so it was very easy to access to participants to our study. It was basically a convenience um, decision, but of course we knew and it was part of our selection of participants that we need people that were used extensively, their uh, mobile phones. From so looking, it worked out fine. <laughs> okay. From looking at uh, the abstract of your study, I see that you had, in the first phase, nine people on campus that you used to categorize the symptoms of nom- nomophobia. 
Could you explain what those different categories are and how you arrived at them? So we interviewed these uh, uh, nine participants. They were college students and uh, users, and students that used extensively their smartphones because we had to screen them first. And we interviewed them for uh, over one hour. Actually, the first author of um, this study did most of the interviews. And from those interviews, we get a lot of uh, citations and quotes and ideas and thoughts from the students. So we, we had to analyze the interview data, those interview transcripts, and identify from that analysis, we identify four categories or four dimensions. One of them is not being able to communicate. So that feeling of losing immediate communication with the people, they are important to us. The other dimension was related with losing connectedness. So we are used to have this ever-present connectivity with our smartphones. And being disconnected from uh, social media in particular was very frightening. And being disconnected from that online identity was disturbing to some of our participants um, on those interviews as well. Another dimension, yes, go ahead. Oh, well, actually, well, give, give us the last dimension and then I'll follow up with the question. <laughs> oh, there's two more. So another one, the third one, was not being able to access information. So we don't have the information at your fingertips and you cannot say, oh, just Google that or Google this. So there was um, that uh, dimension of not being able to access information. And the final dimension was about giving us con convenience, mm -hmm. that smartphones allow us to make, uh, to create doing things with very little effort or difficulty. So the feelings of giving up that conven convenience was one of the, was the fourth dimension. So a lot of all of these dimensions really sound like, you know, in some ways you're kind of just naming naming the convenience of having a cell phone, being able to google things when you have a question, being able to communicate easily. At, at what point does that really turn into a phobia? Like what what symptoms should people be looking for to say, "Okay, well, I, not only am I annoyed that I'm giving up convenience, but this is actually a, a problem." Mhm. Mm uh, if I'm not uh, um, a psychiatry or uh, someone in the medical field, and when we conduct this study, we didn't never um, label as a disorder or a dependency or an addiction. This is just anxiety generated by the fact that I forgot my uh, smartphone at home and I cannot function at work because I don't have it with me. So when things like these happen, uh, you have to take some time and ask yourself why I'm not bothered by these. I'm personally, I'm from a different generation, so it does not bother me. Uh, it does not bother me if I forgot my phone at home. I'm not going to drive back home even though I <laughs> live close by work. <laughs> but it's my generation. We did not grow up with, with mobile devices. Uh, smartphones, let alone, like, not even phones, let alone smartphones. But uh, maybe you would ask me some other questions about the age difference and the groups, mm -hmm. the group ages that make, make um, 
lead to different results. So but once... I think you need to ask, go ahead, Donna. I was going to say, so once you, you established these four categories, where did you go from there? And what were your, what were your findings from the overall study? So when we had these categories, we were able to generate items that were part of the questionnaire. So the questionnaire or the measure that we developed to, to establish that fear of being away from your smartphone is a, a, um, a collection of statements that you have to say if you agree or if you disagree with your statements. Those statements were generated from the interviews mm-hmm. and more specifically from the dimensions that we identify and that I just described. And what were your findings from administering this questionnaire to a larger group? Uh, when we administered the, this questionnaire to a larger group, the intent was not to generate findings about nomophobia, but the intent was to prove that the questionnaire itself was a strong measure of the fear mm-hmm. of, the norm, of nomophobia. So we look at the, the results and the scores we collect were used to conduct statistical analysis to prove that to the academic, um, to the academics and to the scholarly community that this is a measure that is reliable because generates consistent um, results and is also valid because it's measuring what's supposed to measure. We did not conduct a study that we used the questionnaire itself to make uh, claims about the degree of nomophobia among specific groups. Hmm. And, and what were that the is, what? How, how did it turn out? What were the findings then? The findings about developing the the questionnaire or the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can say we have a robust uh, a robust um, instrument to measure nomophobia, and uh, the evidence that can be found on that article uh, published on computers and human behavior shows that uh, the instrument generates scores that are reliable as well as valid. So it's kind of, this is our contribution to the scholarly uh, field in nomophobia and in nomophobia research that we have uh, a measure of that fear. Is this something that people can use at home to assess how nomophobic they are. I mean, I definitely grew up using my phone on a regular basis. I, I know that I like to have it with me, but is that something I can then do this test and know how nomophobic I am? And is that something our readers can do at home as well? I think this is a, a more, taking this, this uh, questionnaire, filling out this questionnaire, answer those um, questions, are important to create awareness that you might be nomophobic. And because this is a self-reported measure, it's always going to depend on how honest you are with yourself. Right. And when we, when we create, when we design and implement this study, it was not never our intent to say smartphones are evil and are bad and people should not be used. Mm-hmm. We all use them. They are convenient. They are make our life easier. They help us organize our work and our day. But when it becomes to, when the use of the smartphone becomes 
um, prevents you to interact with people in a, you know on a daily basis or it stops you to to work because you left it at home. It kind of interferes your with your daily life. Then mm-hmm. you need to ask yourself, is this a problem? It's more like a self-awareness uh, measure. That's how I see it. Then, oh, we're going to label people as being nomophobic mm-hmm. or not being nomophobic. That's, that's never the intent. Or saying that smartphones are bad. No, they are very uh, important tools that make our life easy nowadays. And that's something we'll post at iphonelife.com slash podcast. We'll include the questionnaire there so our readers can uh, find this out for themselves and make a self-assessment that way. And we'll also link to the article that was in sciencedirect.com. So we'll, we'll link to the article as well. So did okay, you, sounds good. <laughs> did you find any differences based on age or whether you're woman or man in terms of the results? Yeah, as, as I mentioned before, at this point, our data just it was to inform the development of the uh, questionnaire. Uh, in terms of next steps for the research, I'm pretty sure um, we are interested to extend this work and look for um, differences among groups. But at this point, we don't have, we have some working hypotheses, some initial ideas about how it's going to turn out but we don't have any evidence to support because we have not collected any data uh, okay. towards testing those working hypotheses. So, so even, even though the, you know, obviously these are early stages and, you know, you can't necessarily say any of these hypotheses have been validated by this research, I guess I'm curious to know even with that what the results were because you were surveying people and so I'm curious, you know, what hypotheses were formed from this? What were the kind of the initial results from this that you will then uh, lead you to analyze later in future qu- questions? Uh, our work hypothesis will be related with the um, age differences, so the younger groups or not young adults um, will be the ones more prone to feel that fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. as well as it seems like women worry more about losing their phones than men. So that anxiety comes more, uh, it's more prone in uh, women. But again, I don't have like clear evidence about that. Mm-hmm. Those are only working hypotheses um, related with gender and age. Interesting. So David, you're less anxious about your phone than I am. <laughs> well, maybe so far. We'll see. Yeah, we, we can each do the questionnaire and yeah. follow up with each other. That would be fun. Maybe we'll do that in a future podcast. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, next question, the follow-up question to that is, were there any questions in the survey that would lead you to hypothesis as to why, for example, why uh, young people would be more uh, inclined to suffer from nomophobia than older people and why females more so than males? I think uh, that the working hypotheses don't come necessarily from the survey that we create, but from other readings, other studies that have been published, so you can find uh, publications about this same phenomenon, mm-hmm. and from our own observations, right? Mm-hmm. So this is not really related with the, um, the scale or the questionnaire. Of course, we can use it now to extend the research and identify other uh, samples 
and recruit participants from these different groups and and you know implement the questionnaire with them. But our working hypothesis come from observation on, on existing studies. And ba then based on the, your observation in existing studies, what, what would you speculate would be the reason for that, for uh, a higher nomophobia in females than males? I'm not going to be able to answer that question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because based on my personal experience, uh -huh. I, I don't care about my process. Like, I don't fit into that. that I, 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 I fit into the group age that does not care so much about mm -hmm. because I'm part of an older age group. Mm -hmm. But in terms of being a female, I, I really don't care. I always get stressed when um, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I get stressed and anxious when... I cannot be reached if something happened to my children. Right. Mm -hmm. So it might be a, a reason, but I don't have any evidence to mention, to make a generalization or statement about that other than my personal experience. Mm -hmm. So as a mother, yes, I get anxious about not uh, be able to be reached if something happens at my kid's school. But there's the, the lens lines, right? So if I'm at work, there's plenty of phones around me. I don't have to come home and drive home to get it, my phone. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm just one person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what would you say um, are the implications just of this, this phenomenon, nomophobia, that's now been somewhat well-established? Uh, what would you say are the implications for smartphones' effects on our mental health and overall well-being? And as I mentioned before, I really think that we just want, with this work, we just want to raise awareness that uh, the use of smartphones might be interfering with our daily basis life. So we need to ask ourselves how much of this anxiety is preventing us to interact with other people, other human beings face to face mm -hmm. without aid of a device or an uh, online persona that we create. We need to ask ourselves and take some time to assess how we relate with others and also ask ourselves what is our capacity to, for self-reflection. So when you reflect, you need to be yourself with you, your own self, not interact with some um, aid or device. Those are the questions we want to raise and I want people to think about. Not saying that um, it would be bad for your mental health or bad for your well-being. Mm -hmm. it's, it's only going to be questionable when the usage is, an ex is extreme. Well, thank you so much. It's, you know, with our smartphones, they've pervaded so many areas of our lives. And with these points you bring up, it really draws attention to not so much that we have these devices, but how we use them is really important. And uh, it's a fascinating uh, questionnaire you came up with. And thank you so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me to join your podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, tune in in two weeks. We'll post our next podcast. 
In the meantime, go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe to subscribe to our print magazine, iphonelife.com slash insider to subscribe to iPhone Life Insider, iphonelife.com slash daily tip to subscribe to free daily tip, and go to iphonelife.com slash podcast to see all the links from everything we talked about in this podcast. And finally, send us an email with feedback. We always appreciate feedback. So iPhone Life, sorry, it's podcast at iphonelife.com. Thanks, everybody.